I've got the ham that isn't. I've got an unprecedented gas emission. <laughs> Game fights. Hello there, and welcome to Date Fights. It's the podcast where we take great moments that occurred on this film date in history, and we pitch them against each other. Hello, he's Jake Yap, I'm Nat Tapia. We are still here, <laughs> plucking the finest plums from the tree of humanity and forcing them into entertainment jam. Forgive me for eating your history plums. They were so factual and so objective. Carlos William Carlos, is it? Yes. What? He wrote that. That's actually a proper poem. It's used on Twitter all the time. It was actually... Um, yeah, forgive uh, me for eating the plums that are in the icebox. I think it's by Carlos Williams Carlos. Let me check. I literally don't care, mate. I now know the answer to that question, but I'm not telling it to you. <laughs> oh, don't be so stupid. I've got an internet as well. <laughs> it's even funny because I completely got his names the wrong way around. It's William Carlos Williams, not Carlos William Carlos. <laughs> Right, round one, January 30th. I just, why would you keep plums in the ice box? I don't know. Well, if you're in, I assume you're in a warm American city and they go slushy very quickly. Maybe, I think it's if you're trying for a baby. <laughs> I'm going to take you to, this is messy this morning. I'm going to no, just, take just you it. to the 31st of January, uh, 1915, uh, when the Germans first used poison gas in the First World War. On the 31st of January in the morning, they fired 18,000 artillery shells of xylyl bromide at the Russians at the Battle of Bolimov. Um, it was meant to vaporise, but because, well, when you're fighting the Russians, things are very cold, generally, in the winter. Um, so instead of vaporising, it froze and didn't have the desired effect, so that was the last time they used that. Um, a couple of months later, in April, they worked out that chlorine was pretty horrible, so they started using chlorine. Um, when they started using chlorine, uh, chlorine's pretty easy to not be poisoned by if you have a wet cloth or damp cloth around that absorbs most of it. Is this the, the famous urinating in the handkerchiefs idea? Absolutely. You would wee on your handkerchief. There was, um, it was assumed that urine was more effective because it would turn it into, I don't know the name of the chemical, probably urea chloride, um, which was much less dangerous than chlorine gas. Um, the Daily Mail designed uh, cloths they designed a gas mask sort of proto gas mask for its readers to make for its uh, for women to make um unfortunately its design was terrible and if you used it it was useless when it was dry and it suffocated people when it was wet it was responsible for the deaths of scores of people um but by july the government had come up with a proper uh, gas mask which they gave out to everyone there uh Britain. Uh, everyone there that was still left. Yeah, everyone left. I mean, they kept refilling it with yeah. other people. We're not quite at conscription yet, but um, yeah, they were. They did run out of people at, towards the end of this year and said, you know what, we think everyone should have to be in the army. Um, the British tried it at the Battle of Lewes in September 1915. We tried our own gas attack. Unfortunately, the wind was blowing the wrong way. It blew it straight back into our trenches <laughs> and ended up killing most Are you of serious? us. I'm absolutely serious. Oh. Because chlorine was... Chlorine was very visible. It was green. You could see it coming. Um, so there was actually a big psychological effect to it being there. We worked out more than its chance of killing many people. But then the Germans worked out that if they mix it with phosgene, which was colourless and heavier, um, it was much more effective because 
phosgene on its own took 24 hours to take effect. So phosgene, if they if it went in your trench, you'd feel fine for a day afterwards, which really wasn't the point of the gas, because what they really wanted was to clear out the trench, rather than for you to feel to fall over dead a day later. So they mixed phosgene and chlorine, and that was what the Germans used as poison gas for the rest of the war. Oh, wow. So that is my thing for the 31st of January, the introduction of chemical warfare into the First World War. A very happy Brexit day to you, Nat. <laughs> Many thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yes, these are both both pretty yeah, cheery. Yeah. So yeah. I, I got a cheery one from the First World War for you too. Uh, I've got the thirty first of January, nineteen eighteen. Oh, nice! And uh, the Battle of May Island. Oh, I don't know that one. Uh, yeah, well, you you haven't heard of the Battle of May Island because it wasn't a battle. Oh, okay. It was actually uh, basically a submarine and boat pile up on the Firth of Forth. Oh, uh, where one boat on the British fleet backed into another one. Uh, over and over again. It was De- absolutely <laughs> catastrophic. Sorry. And <laughs> I, hope, I know. It seems like they need one of those. Sorry. Beep, beep, beep. Right. Beep. That right, would have right, right, right. everything. This submarine is reversing. This submarine so, is uh, reversing. So it was the night of the 31st of January and there was this plan that they were going to take... I mean, it was, it was the entire fleet, I think, uh, under the command of Vice Admiral Sir Hugh Evan Thomas... Mm-hmm. It's like, how much more Welsh does your name need to be? Get on Hugh Evan. Steamed along, and uh, it was nearly 30 miles long, this this line of ships. Mm. And he said, right, we're going to go down the Firth of Forth. When we go past the Isle of May, speed up. Right. And then we'll slow down again once we get past that. And because they were worried... Speed uh, up to an indeterminate speed. Don't <laughs> no, no, worry no. what speed, it'll become clear. No, there was a, there was a specific speed. I think it was something like... They increased their speed to 22 knots when they were going past the bat- past May Island. Wow, that is quite fast. So, uh, yeah, they were going quite fast. The problem was that sort of just as they they started speeding up, uh, a minesweeper was like, doo-dee-doo, <laughs> kind of cutting across the entire line. And one ship tried to avoid it, and then the, pre- the one behind smashed into it uh, because they were all pretty much in blackout right. trying to avoid yeah. uh, the enemy, obviously. Uh, and so they tried to send an encoded message. Mm. Uh, a guy called Lear, Captain Lear uh, of the Ethereal, sent a message to the fleet saying, Submarines K-12 and K-22 have been in collision and are hold forward. I'm proceeding to their assistance with the 13th Submarine Flotilla and we're 80 miles east magnetic from May Island. Uh, great. It's just that uh, it took 40 minutes for that message to be transmitted because of the primitive technology of the time. I don't know mm. what the primitive technology was <laughs> or why that is. Was it flags? Someone had to pedal like mad to get mm. the charge up. I have no idea. Well, could it have been? No. When's Marconi? Marconi's next year, the year after. I Yeah, I, I don't know. But uh, it was the, in total, there were five collisions between eight vessels. Two submarines were lost. Uh, three others damaged and a light cruiser and 104 men died and it, it was pretty gruesome mm. and with black humour for which there is a hyperlink on Wikipedia those crazy Wikipedians <laughs> just in case you don't know uh, they called it the Battle of May Island it wasn't a battle at all mm. there was a court of inquiry opened up on the 5th of February so under a week later and it sat for five days to say what's, what's happened here? <laughs> and they decided to blame Captain Lear for what happened and said he needs to be court-martialed. Yeah. Uh, although the case of negligence for the loss of K-17 was not proved. And they basically just kept the whole thing quiet. Oh, OK. And details of the investigation of the court-martial were not released until 1994. Wow. 
Yes. Is that because they would upset everyone too much? Yes. Captain Lear's family would have found it too distressing. Yeah. They basically said, back at the end of the First World War, we're going to wait until Take That have had a number one. <laughs> Uh, until we release any information on this. <laughs> We're which... going to wait till two unlimited about a number one. That's the really distressing thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the really pertinent yeah. point to all of this. But as soon as they did get to number one, there was a big thing at the Admiralty that said, quick, release the court-martial files. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday to Sexy Mouseketeer Justin Timberlake. <laughs> uh, also happy birthday to the first African-American to play Major League Baseball in the modern era, Jackie Robinson. Also happy birthday to Tallulah Bankhead, who I think we did on her death day, but she's so great she gets another day. Um, she came up with such witticisms as there's less to him than meets the eye. Um, she was at uh, Truman's inaugural parade. She was invited and she sat on the podium booing Strom Thurmond as the South Carolina delegation went past because he was a segregationist and she used to get na naked at parties all the time and she smoked 120 cigarettes a day that's Tallulah Bankhead happy birthday to her <laughs> happy, death happy death day to Hemmer of Altdorf the wife of Louis the German and the mother of Charles the Fat also happy death day to... That must have been horrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that took ages. Yeah. Uh, the episiotomy after that. Um, <laughs> happy death day to... I've said episiotomy in the morning, that's not good. Happy death day to Guy Fawkes. People say he was the last honest person to enter Parliament, but no, that was Ilyata Albrechtscu who went in to clean the toilets this morning for less than the London living wage. Also, happy death day to Molly Ivins, the humorist who was twice nominated for the Pulitzer Prize. She was once accused for plagiarism and she apologised to the person in question but the end of her letter said as for the rest of your observations boy you really are a mean bitch aren't you sincerely Molly Ivins plagiarist <laughs> Round two. I've got the 31st of January 1961 Ooh. and it's Project Mercury Mercury Redstone 2 uh, mm. because uh, it's it's the first voyage into outer space and only voyage for Ham the Chimp. Ham the Chimp, oh. in some quarters, of course, is an instruction. Mm -hmm. uh, Ham the Chimp was a chimpanzee and the first hominid launched into space. Nice. As part of the US space program's Project Mercury. Uh, Ham, he was called Ham because um, he tasted good. Uh, he was an acronym. Yeah, I was going to say, but by the time he came back, he was nicely tasty. Yes, sweetly brined. Smoked over an open. Mm. Yeah. Uh, the, it was, he was an acronym. It was the Holloman Aerospace Medical Center. They didn't call him Ham. Oh. Uh, but also, uh, it was in honor of the commander. Lieutenant Colonel Hamilton Ham Blackshear. Now, how do you pick which chimp to send into space? Well, uh, they had 40 <laughs> to start with. Yeah. And after some evaluation, they reduced the number of candidates by means of shotgun, presumably, uh, to 18, <laughs> then to six, uh, and then down to two, Ham and Minnie. Yeah. Uh, officially, Ham, before his flight, was simply known as number 65. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it's cute that uh, mm. they didn't want to name him because they thought if he if he were to die in space, you know, people wouldn't like it if he's been named oh. uh, because people are useless. Uh, among his handlers, though, he did have a name. Mm. Uh, would you like to know what his name was? I would. Chop Chop Chang. Oh, dear. 
Mm. I've got questions about this. Yeah, yeah, I bet you have. Uh, uh, yes. Was there any specific reason for the slightly coded racial element to his name? Uh, he's actually from French Cameroon. Oh, okay. So why Chop Chop Chang? I don't know. <laughs> and he was sent to a rare bird farm in my well, because basically people were just openly, overtly, blatant, blatantly, yeah. and by definition, inaccurately racist. <laughs> Give him any name as long as it's racist. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a list. Should we go for him? No! Yeah. <laughs> uh, he had some training. Uh, he was taught to push a lever within five seconds of seeing a flashing blue light, and if he failed to do so, he would get electrocuted. Uh, oh, as if he got it right, he'd get a banana pellet. Mm. I don't know if you've ever been to a bingo hall, Nat. Yes. <laughs> there is and a- uh, they had onboard cameras that filmed him, and uh, he was weightless for six minutes. He, he pulled 17G what? and survived. He was weightless for six minutes, though, and uh, the cameras oh, was quite surprised. There's quite a lot of dust and debris floating about inside the <laughs> capsule. So like, probably like fag ash, like in those days. Yeah. How pathetic. Yeah. Uh, his only physical injury was a bruised nose, and he was given an apple and half an yeah, orange. Yeah, you don't want to, let's not half go over an orange. Uh, he didn't go to the moon. No. He lived for another 17 years in the National Zoo in Washington, D.C., which I used to live next to, and the sound at night was bizarre. And when he died in 1983, they were like, oh, what should we do with Ham? I'll tell you what, we'll stuff him and put him on display at the Smithsonian. (laughs) And then the public were like, no. They did the same with Yuri Gagarin. (laughs) No, no, we're not not very keen on that. So instead, (laughs) Ham got an actual burial at the International Space Hall of Fame and there was a eulogy and a memorial service. Hmm. It's kind of sad that we can't apply that to all the primates still being vivisected today, but, you know, whatever. He got a name, so we're allowed to engage He did get a name. Not much. He got a racist name, then he got a number, then he got named after someone else. Yeah. He didn't really get his own name. Yeah. Ta-da! Oh. Good old ham. Hooray! <laughs> I'm going to take you to the 31st of January, 1928, when Trotsky is exiled to Alma Arta, and that was the end of anyone who wasn't being Stalin having a chance to have a go in Russia for the next 25 years. Um, Trotsky had been head of the Red Army. He'd probably won the civil war for the Bolsheviks and um, there was a power struggle during the 1920s between Trotsky and Stalin and various other people to see who would come out in, on top and what sort of what sort of communism the USSR would have and in 1928 with Trotsky's exile um, it became very clear that it was going to be Stalinism probably the worst ism um, of the early 20th century and well no hang on there is Nazism there's loads of isms you don't want (laughs) there's loads of bad ones but Stalinism is one of the very worst ones Um, and I mean, Trotskyism wouldn't have been a huge amount better in many ways but in some ways it was more outward looking more Uh, focused on um, a worldwide socialist movement. So it probably would have meant lots more wars, but it was slightly less restrictive economically and in terms of local democracy. So whereas Stalinist communism was very much centrally organised, Trotsky wanted local parties and local organisations to have much more say over um, what the party did. Um, Anyway, this was the last chance for that to have been the model of communism that uh, Russia adopted, because Trotsky was sent 
to Alma-Ata in Kazakhstan, um, and the next year he was exiled from the USSR completely. Um, wow. That's it, really. So it's a good rule of that. Now I now understand. Trotsky was more like League of Gentlemen. He, and yes. Stalin was more like uh, Mrs. Brown. Little okay. Little Britain. Little, if we're okay. sticking completely to... <laughs> yeah, no, Mrs. Brown. He's much more Mrs. Brown. Yeah, central centralised power. Yeah. Um, I mean, Trotsky wasn't a lovely person. I've got a quote from him here, um, justifying why he needed the death penalty in the Red Army, saying, so long as those malicious, tailless apes that are so proud of their technical achievements, uh, the animals that we call men, will build armies and wage wars, the command will always be obliged to place the soldiers between the, promise, the possible death in the front and the inevitable one in the rear. Oh, there's nothing worse than an inevitable death an in the rear. an inevitable one in the rear. <laughs> yeah. Also, I mean, I think for me, my first red flag would have been tailless apes. Uh, they're tailless all tailless, apes. mate. Yeah. Precisely. If they're not, they're monkeys. I don't know what apes you've been hanging around. Uh, right. Well, who who won? Yes. Is it is it ham or mustard gas? Yes. Uh, you could decide. You could go online and you can vote, and we will have the results on Sunday because we'll be here over the weekend we hope yes, you'll join us too uh, if you go online to vote or, mm. uh, on Twitter it's at not to no it's not it's at date underscore fights <laughs> facebook.com forward slash date fight and you only have till midday tomorrow to vote I've been away for seven hours have you? <laughs> not in the slightest um, Jason go to bed now but we'll see you tomorrow morning love you see you bye bye